Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, so we're going to get into this. Uh, the kingdom, a, a Christian manifesto, uh, such a powerful statement. And I think this is going to be an absolutely incredible series as we get into it for the next couple of months. Um, buckle up. This is an opportunity for us to change the way we see things, change our perspective. I think it's going to be confrontational in the weeks to come, but, but I do believe it will transform the way we think and ultimately the way that we live as a result of it. So I want to start out by asking a rhetorical question. You do not have to respond, a rhetorical question. But if if I were to ask you to summarize the totality of Jesus's statements, his teachings, into a single word or a single phrase, how would you do that? What would you say Jesus was all about when you look at his teachings? Uh, if, if you were to ask perhaps the average Christian to do that, uh, many might respond a number of different ways. Perhaps some would say, well, his teachings were all about love. Jesus was all about love, loving God and, and loving other people. He himself stated that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment was equally as important to love your neighbor as yourself. So clearly his message was all about love. It was the most important thing. Maybe others would say, well, well, Jesus also talked a lot about grace and, and mercy. I mean, that was the whole purpose, right? It was this new covenant that was being established by grace. And then maybe the religious guy would chime in from the corner and say, yes, but don't forget, Jesus also was truth. He was grace, but he was also truth. So don't just talk about grace. You got to talk about truth. And, okay, yes, that's, that's true. Maybe others would say that Jesus's message was predominantly about faith or about morality and if you ask the, the preacher, particularly the TV varietal, they would say, well, don't, don't forget, Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, he talked about money more than anything else. So we need to talk about money in church quite a bit more than we do because clearly Jesus cared deeply about that. And, and all of those statements are true. Jesus did talk quite a bit about all of those things. He had a lot to say about love and mercy and grace and faith. He had much to say about morality, specifically to the religious elite who felt that they were doing just fine, but they were living in hypocrisy and hidden sin. And yes, Jesus did talk quite a bit about money. The, the preachers are not lying. The, the, the weighted number of parables obviously point to the fact that Jesus cared deeply about how we handle our finances because he himself said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's impossible to love God without allowing him to, to speak to you about your resources. All of those things are true. However, it, it would be inaccurate to lump the entirety of Jesus' teachings into any single one of those words. They are at best a subtopic, a supporting topic in his ministry. Because the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else, the overwhelming message that he began to preach to humanity were those two words right there, the kingdom. He talked more about the kingdom than anything else in his ministry. In fact, by sheer metrics, he spoke uh, 126 times. 162 times that phrase is mentioned in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 126 of those are directly out of the mouth of Jesus speaking about the kingdom. For comparison, the things that we might think he spoke uh, quite a bit about, uh, he actually only talked about faith. Oh, wait, where'd it go? Here we go. Uh, faith, 24 times. Love, 57 times. And grace, 11 times. These things that we attribute to his ministry. But the kingdom... 126 times. Clearly, this was his deepest concern, his main message. And if we consider the fact that Jesus talked about this subject so much, it should tell us something. 
It should tell us that if the gospel we have been peddled and that many of us have perhaps bought into is heavily weighted on grace and faith and love and mercy, but absent of the kingdom, then we might be missing Jesus's main message. There was obviously something he was trying to communicate and maybe it's because it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but if we've accepted a gospel void of this, then we are missing the main thrust of his message. And lest I be accused or our church be accused of presenting a lopsided gospel, I wanna make sure that in the weeks to come, we spend some ample time looking at this phrase that Jesus spoke so much about, the kingdom, because it's important to him. So as we dive in, let, let, me, let me answer the question that we need to answer up front if we're going to accurately apply all that we're going to discuss in the weeks to come. And that is, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? What does Jesus mean when he's speaking of this subject? You, you can kind of distill the kingdom down into two simple statements. And for your note takers, you can write this down so we don't forget them. But number one, the kingdom is the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Uh, we've talked about this once before in our setting. As a reminder, anytime you see the phrase, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God is here among you, you can substitute the name of Jesus into that scripture and it's theologically accurate. Jesus is saying, this is what I am like, or I am here among you. Uh, for, uh, for, for perspective, in this last week's reading, if you're joining us on our Bible reading campaign here at the church, uh, if not, you're welcome to jump in anytime. You can go to the app, click on the read campaign. But this last week, we read Luke 17, and the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said, hey, when is the kingdom going to come? And, and Jesus looked back at him and he said, what do you mean, when is it gonna come? It's right here. The kingdom is here right now. Translation, it's your boy. I'm right here, okay? The kingdom is among you. It's me. Jesus is the kingdom. So, so anytime you see those phrases, you can substitute Jesus in there because the kingdom is the person of Jesus. Secondarily, as you read through these 162 phrases in the gospels, you can also conclude that the kingdom is the rule of Jesus or, or the reign of Jesus, if you will. In other words, anywhere that Jesus is exalted as king and not just in eternity future, although let's all remind ourselves as scripture teaches us, there will be a day where the clouds split and Jesus comes back for his bride. He'll be riding on a white horse and his robe will be dipped in blood and there will be fire in his eyes and a sword coming from his mouth and he will once and for all deal with evil and Satan and, and, and command that he stays in hell for eternity while he takes his rightful position as ruler and king over this earth. That day is coming, just so you know. But until then, anywhere Jesus is exalted as king becomes the kingdom. As we shared a few weeks ago, uh, in our worship series. We have the ability to create a habitation as we did a moment ago when we were singing, let heaven come, let the kingdom of God come. Anywhere where he is exalted and given rulership and authority, it's the kingdom. For example, here at the Father's house. Just to be clear, we have no agenda to build a brand here at the Father's house to make our name famous in the earth. This is not about you know becoming the biggest show in town or the best church in town. We have one agenda and one ruler. His name is Jesus. He is king of everything that happens here. And we're all about establishing his kingdom here in San Francisco as it is in heaven, which is why we get to taste of that kingdom every time we gather together in this space. For my life, for your life, if he is the authority, if he is the ruler, I'm not trying to build a brand. I'm not trying to get 100,000 followers on Instagram or subscribe to my YouTube channel, hit subscribe button low. I don't care about that stuff. As Paul said, my life is worth nothing to me unless it is being used for the purpose that God has called me to. So I'm here because I've bowed my knee to Jesus. He is king over my life and I get to experience the kingdom realities 
as a result of him ruling and reigning in my life. Same for you. So the kingdom in those two things, the person of Jesus and the rule of Jesus. Tuck those into your pocket because we're going to be using them quite a bit in the weeks to come as we look at these statements that Jesus made about the kingdom. Starting with today, a foundational scripture that we're going to look at. Very short, but foundational as we dive into this subject. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, the book of Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is among you. Now, based on our definition, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus. So this can also be translated repent because I, Jesus, am right here among you. If you want to know what Jesus talked about, smush it all into a little sandwich. There it is right there. What was he all about? Repent because I'm here and I am among you today. Uh, to that end, I want to title this chat as we dive into this series, Is That Seat Taken? Is That Seat Taken? Uh, let, let's pray before we get too far into the Word. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your presence in this room. God, I thank you for every returning individual, first-time individual uh, that's in the room this morning, and, and I thank you that you drew them to your house intentionally for a purpose. You, you knew that we'd be sitting in these seats this morning, and, and you know what you need to speak to each and every one of our hearts before we leave this place. Right now, we... We lay down our, our, our understanding. We lay down our human constructs for how you work and who you are. And God, we, we ask that you would speak to us about this thing called the kingdom. Would you, would you reveal to us what might be missing in our theological framework? And, and would you show us, would you transform us? Would you mold and shape us into your image before we leave here today and every subsequent week in this series? And Lord, we also ask that in about 40 minutes as the warriors take the court, Father, we pray for Wardell, Stephen Curry, pray for Clay Thompson, for Jordan Poole, for Draymond Green, for Kevon Looney. God, we thank you for domination. Thank you for the three victories, but God, we ask for one more today. May they sweep the nuggets. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay. I got Christians here. I'm gonna get you to pray one way or the other. All right, it's gonna be good. <laughs> Repent. So Jesus starts off his ministry, his teachings with this word, repent. Go and say it with me. Repent. <laughs> it's not a word we use very often, right? It kind of puts a bitter taste in your mouth. It's gotten a bad rap over the years because there's an image that comes to mind when we hear that word, isn't there? You, you know the image. It's the guy on Market Street today. He's got the cardboard sign and he's got the megaphone and he's verbally accosting every person as they walk by. He's got a, a flag around his neck draping in the wind and a MAGA hat on. And he's all about telling everybody that passes by why they're going to hell. He likes the word hell, doesn't he? Repent, because you're all going to hell. Okay, as you walk by the guy. Yeah, that's the image that comes to mind when we hear this word, repent. But Obviously, that can't be the image that Jesus intended for us to see when we hear this word. Jesus was no sidewalk preacher. He did not have a soapbox as he yelled at people that passed by him on the roads in Galilee. He wasn't wearing a make Jerusalem great again hat. It's not Jesus. It's not how he operated. And yet, this is the word he uses as he introduces the kingdom to humanity, repent, for the kingdom of God is here among you. 
So, so in order to truly understand the implications of this arriving kingdom, we must first have an accurate definition of this word repent. What does it mean to repent? Well, in, in the Greek, uh, the word is metaneo, metaneo. And uh, it's a compound word, meta meaning Facebook and neo meaning Keanu Reeves. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's a compound word, but here's what it means. <laughs> These are the jokes, people. This is all you get, all right? Metaneo, it means a change of mind, perspective, followed by a change of direction. A change of mind followed by a change of direction. In its simplest form, it's a 180. It's an about face. I, I was thinking one way. I had this perspective. I saw the world through this lens. I saw my life through this lens. But I encountered something. I encountered someone who changed my perspective, who changed my outlook, and as a result, I can no longer walk in the direction that I was heading. I must turn, I must make an about face and begin to walk differently than I was once walking. And its simplest form, that is what repentance means. It means to turn and go the other direction. For today, I wanna to offer a synonym for consideration, an inversion, something that was headed one direction, facing one direction, but it is inverted. Uh, allow me to illustrate. Uh, about seven years ago, my wife and I were sitting at a stoplight in Santa Rosa, and we were involved in a car accident where someone rear-ended us. The car that was behind us was rear-ended by another vehicle traveling 35, 40 miles an hour, and as a result, it plowed into the back of our vehicle. And if you've ever been in a car accident before, uh, you might be able to relate to this, but it felt like everything was kind of moving in slow motion when it happened. And, and like I heard the screech of the tires coming in behind us. And so I turned as I heard it and I looked out the back window. And at the moment I turned, uh, the car behind us hit the back of our vehicle. And, and I remember at the moment of impact, I felt this incredibly sharp pain in my lower back. And I, I immediately I thought, lawsuit. Uh, no, I'm just gonna say, no. It's not true. My dad's an attorney, so I gotta use, uh, use my resources wisely. No, I immediately thought, I hope this is not a lasting injury because I know people that got injured really young and like their mobility is hindered for the rest of their life. So I hope this isn't gonna stick around. So we, we did the, uh, the report with the police officer and uh, got home and I popped a bunch of ibuprofen to try to make the pain to go away. And I'm like, I'm just gonna sleep it off. Uh, sure enough, I woke up the next morning and I was in incredible pain. It was worse than the night before. My back was like frozen. And so I went to my doctor and uh, had an x-ray done and a CT scan done. And the diagnosis came back. It was determined that I had three herniated discs in my, my lower back. And, and I'll never remember, uh, never forget when my doctor shared the information with me. She like, it's like she was rebuking me as if it was my fault that I got into this accident. She's like, she was like this really angry, like Russian woman. And she's like, why you not, why you turn around and look at the car behind you? Why, why you not keep hands at 10 and 2 and be relaxed instead of look behind you? You would be better. And I'm like, what kind of psychopath just like relaxes when they know they're about to get rear-ended by another vehicle? Like, But apparently that's what you're supposed to do if you don't want to have any lasting injuries. So if you're ever going to get rear-ended, just hands on the wheel, namaste, and uh, it's going to work out great. So I spend months after this diagnosis trying to find a way to get the pain to disappear without going through the process of surgical procedures or medication, and, and I tried everything. I went to the chiropractor, and, and that didn't work. 
I tried electrotherapy and that didn't work. Uh, I even tried acupuncture, which was uh, like crazy to me. Like you're going to stick needles into my back and I'm going to feel better. I don't understand, but let's give it a whirl. Still didn't work. I got so desperate. I even let my wife try her like essential oils and her potions and her witchcraft and all that stuff on me. And it didn't work. And I was getting pretty desperate, but in the middle of trying to find a remedy, uh, my father, he reminded me of something that he used for his lower back when he was in pain uh, called an inversion table. Maybe you've seen one of these before, Uh, but uh, it looks a little bit like this. And, you know, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I'm going to go ahead and demonstrate for you how one of these things works. Basically, you, uh, you strap yourself in. It's a little stirrups down here. Okay. And then you make sure you're in there nice and tight. And then you just put your hands behind you. Ah. Oh. Namaste. Okay. And then you just hang here for a little bit. 10 minutes or so until you pass out or until the pain goes away. And the purpose of this table is, this is awesome. Hold on. I got I to gotta get up. <laughs> purpose of this table is, um, The purpose, purpose of this table is to uh, separate your spine and allow for the discs in your back to begin to slip back into place. And, and I got to tell you, this thing worked better than anything else that I tried. It was like being inverted was exactly what I needed to fix my problem. And, and in a sense, pardon the lengths at which I go to to prove a point, in a sense... This is an image for what Jesus is offering here in Matthew chapter four. He's he's saying, hey, listen, you have a problem. To his hearers of the day, you have a problem. And deep down, you know you have a problem. Your, Your way of thinking, your way of living, your thoughts, your pursuits, they have landed you in a world of pain and a world of hurt. And you have tried everything you know how to do in order to fix it. You've tried amassing more for yourselves in hopes that that would bring fulfillment, but it didn't work. You tried everything that the world had to offer. You indulged in the things of this world, but it left you empty. You tried working your way to God with rules and regulations and laws, hoping that you would feel closer to him, but you feel miles away, worse than even when you started. You have tried everything you know how to do all of the prescriptions, all of the ways of thinking, and nothing seems to bring you any hope. But I am coming to bring you a better way. I am coming to offer you a different way of thinking, a different way of thinking, something we call the kingdom. And I am going to completely invert the way that you process this life. I'm gonna flip everything you understand on its head. I'm gonna change the way you think about money. I'm gonna change the way you think about morality. I'm gonna change the way you think about the poor. I'm gonna change the way you think about purity. And I'm gonna make some dramatic suggestions that in order to be great, you must be the least. In order to receive, you must give. If you wanna be a leader, you gotta serve other people. I'm gonna flip everything you know on its head. Namely, I'm gonna change the way you think about the way you interact with God. Because you have thought for years that it was about you working your way to get close to him. And I'm gonna flip that ideology on its head.
I'm changing everything. This is what Jesus means when he says, repent. It is not a rebuke. Repent. Not that at all. It's an invitation. An invitation to strap yourself into one of these in the spirit and allow him to flip everything upside down. And that invitation is going to be strong in the weeks to come. That invitation is going to be unavoidable, just as it was in the streets of Galilee in Jesus' day. Over the next couple of weeks, Jesus is going to get all up in your business. He's going to get beyond the exterior that you project and to the heart of why you are the way you are. He's going to get beyond the motive that you say you have and get to the dark motive that's really behind why you're doing the things the way that you're doing them. He's going to get to the heart of where we're living, why we're thinking the way we're thinking, why we're operating the way we're operating. And he's going to force every single one of us to answer a question, a question today and a question in all of the subsequent weeks that we're going to have to consider. Am I a kingdom person? Am I truly a kingdom person? In other words, have I allowed the teachings of Jesus to completely transform the way I think and the way I live? Has it changed everything about my existence? Or do I look a whole lot like I used to look before? Maybe better asked is this, what's truly changed since I started following Jesus? What's truly been transformed? Has he completely upended my life? Or has the extent of my transformation been limited to the way I spend a couple of Sunday mornings every single month? And occasionally a Tuesday if I feel extra spiritual when I come to pursuit. And if so, then maybe I'm not as much of a kingdom person as I thought I was. Maybe I just picked up a new weekend hobby. Yeah. That feeling right there is what we're gonna feel a lot for the next couple of weeks. Hey, if you wanna be comfortable in your journey, and you don't want to be challenged in any way, I suggest you find another place to hang out on Sundays for the next eight weeks. But if you're ready to go toe-to-toe with some of the stuff that Jesus mentioned and go, you know what? I am submitting my life to this person called King Jesus, and I am ready for him to completely transform the way I think and the way I live. This is going to be an incredible series as we get into it. It really will be. Am I a kingdom person? To help us answer that question today, we're going to look at a portion of scripture that might be familiar to many in the room, but a portion of scripture that becomes a bit of a barometer, a litmus test, if you will, to determine whether or not we're answering this question correctly. Uh, The book of Matthew, fast forward a couple of chapters, uh, chapter six, verse 26, Jesus says this, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What will I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his way of thinking, his way of living. Seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. Everyone will say seek first. 
That is probably one of the most commonly quoted teachings and scriptures of Jesus, and rightfully so, because it is a diagnostic. It allows us the opportunity to see what Jesus expects, what he demands of kingdom people, and to ask ourselves the question, am I truly living according to his teachings? And those four words are very important. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, if we go back to our definitions at the beginning of this sermon today, we would apply the second to this. It is the rule, the reign of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here, seek first my rulership, my authority. He's forcing us to ask, does Jesus truly have first place in our lives? Is he truly the ruler and the authority? And I'm gonna be honest with you, that's a question that I ask myself a lot. I think it's a question that we should all ask ourselves a lot. Because for me, I know that I tend to like to be the leader of my own life. I like to be the king of my castle, the master of my own domain, the leader of my destiny. I, I, I like to lead my own life, and so do you. And so if we're gonna be kingdom people, we have to be willing to constantly assess and ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus truly ruling every area of my life? And I have a bit of a mental exercise that I do, and I'm gonna share this with you today. Uh, it might sound silly to some, but perhaps it's helpful to others. It's something that has been very helpful to me in my prayer life as I survey where I'm at with God. And here's how I do it. I close my eyes, and I begin to subdivide my life into different categories. I think about all the different areas and aspects of my life, and I put them in little mental columns. And then at the top of every single one of those columns, I picture a little throne. One of these guys. I stepped on it, so it's a little bit broken. Sorry, Jesus. And, and, I, and I picture this atop every single one of those categories. And then I ask myself mentally, as I'm praying, who's sitting in that chair? Who, who is ruling and reigning over that area of my life? Now, I don't know what areas you would consider in your life. Let me offer you some of mine. One of the first ones I consider is my time. Who, who is sitting and ruling and reigning over the time that God has given me on this planet? If, as I look at my schedule, who's in charge? Who's getting it? Am, am I just studying the Bible to preach sermons, or am I allowing the scriptures to read me and confront me? Do I truly have a relationship with Jesus that's proven through prayer, or do I just attend his seminars on Sunday morning and never really have any conversations apart from that? Where is my time being invested? Have I given him time to pray? Have I given him time in the word? Have I given him time in just meditating on his goodness? Have I spent the time? And for me and for you, by the way, it, it probably isn't a question of, of quantity. There's never gonna be a moment in your life where you just sit around and read the Bible all day long and pray all day long. You're gonna spend more time sleeping and going to work and all the rest of that stuff. So this isn't a quantity conversation. For me, it's a quality and a prominence conversation. Who is first and who is getting the best. When I wake up in the morning, do I, do I honor him with the first and the best of my day? Who's sitting in that throne? And then I, I move on into my purity. Who is sitting on the throne of, of purity in my life? What I mean by that is, whose standard of purity do I accept? My standard or the king's standard? Because let's be real, my standard is probably a little bit different than his. There's things that I may not see 
as damaging, but he sees the future of those decisions, and so he says, that has no place in your life. God's standard of purity is always a little bit higher than ours, isn't it? He says, if you even look lustfully at a woman, you have already committed adultery in your heart. He says, salt water and fresh water do not belong coming out of the same well. You, you can't let perverse speech and coarse joking come out of your mouth, especially if you're going to be the kind of person who communicates the gospel of Jesus. He says that impurity is like a little yeast that works its way into the dough when it completely takes over. So the question is not how much can I get away with before it becomes sin. The question is how much can I continue to surrender to the king who is sitting on this throne in my life in purity? And then I move over to money, and I go, okay, who's sitting on the throne of my life and money? As I look at where my money is spent, who's first? Who, is Jesus receiving his tithe before anybody else gets paid in my life? And for me, I saw, solved that one a long time ago. I, I know that he is first in my resources, and so every time I get paid, I give him a tenth of, of that, and I sow it into his house. But as a mature believer, it goes beyond that, because I start asking the question, well, Jesus, you gave me everything, and so what am I doing with the remaining 90% that you've entrusted to me? Am I living generously with that? Because I know generosity doesn't even start for me until I hit 10.1%. So have you asked me to give things away that I'm holding on to because I'm worried about my future and I'm clinging to my resources? Or are you truly on the throne in that area of my life? It is incredibly quiet in the room right now. This is awesome. I'm talking about me. I'm not trying to rebuke anybody in the room. I'm just talking about my own life up here. Then I move on to my marriage. Who's sitting on the throne in the area of marriage in my life? Is it me or is it God? And in marriage, God looks a lot like Robin in my life. In yours, it doesn't look like Robin. It better not look like Robin. In your marriage, it's your spouse. Whose agenda am I serving? Am I laying down my life as Christ laid his life down to serve the church? Am I serving my spouse or am I the king of the marriage? And on and on it goes. My pursuits, my plans, my ministry, my motives. There's a lot of these little chairs in my life. And there's a lot of them in your life as well. And the question that I could not shake this week, so much so that it became the title for this sermon, I just saw this picture of Jesus coming to each of one of these columns in our lives and each of one of these chairs in our lives and asking this question. Hey, is, is that seat taken? Who's sitting there? Will you let me sit and rule? Or is that chair ocupado already? <laughs> is that seat taken? Because listen, let me, let me remind us today, pop, uh, contrary to the popular American gospel that we've been sold, Jesus is not interested in sharing any thrones in your life. He's not interested in having you scoot over so the two of you can lead your life together. It's not how he operates. He is not willing to be the sprinkles to your cupcake or the icing to your cake or whatever you want to say. Christianity, the kingdom is not a buffet, friends. It is not something we come to and say, well, I'll submit this area of my life to Jesus and this area of my life to Jesus while I install myself as the king and the queen of this area that I'm unwilling to surrender. No, as it's been said, he's either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all in your life, period. He wants total control. But he's not going to take it hostily. He's not going to force you to surrender areas of your life. This whole thing is a choice. That's the beauty of our faith. We either choose to follow him or we do not. As we said earlier about repentance, 
It's not domination, it's an invitation. Will you let me take this seat in your life? And I think what Jesus would ask us today as we consider all of those areas of our life is does, is that throne open and available for me or are you sitting there right now? Is that seat taken? And if you're like, well, I don't, I don't know, Tim. I, 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 I think he's there. I, I, I'm just not sure. I'm gonna give us one more, one more test that we can consider as we get ready to conclude here in just a moment. And that is the thought test the thought test. As we look back at this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter six, Jesus begins to offer one additional litmus test for our faith to ensure that we're seeking him first. It's this, this mantra of our faith and, and it's found here in our thoughts. As I get into this, I'll invite the band to come and we'll get ready to conclude in just a second. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew six thirty one. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things are going to be added unto you. According to Jesus, your thoughts are an indicator. What you are thinking about, what you are worrying about, it's revealing to you who is ruling truly in your life. It's the thought test. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Well, what things? Well, he gives us three. He says, well, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the record, this is not like restaurant selections or wardrobe considerations. Jesus isn't some white girl in the marina trying to figure out, where am I going to go to eat tonight? What am I going to wear when I go there? <laughs> Sorry if you're a white girl from the marina but act differently and I won't make fun of you. Okay, just kidding. This is Jesus addressing some of the real concerns of the generation he was speaking to. These are the things that they worried about. These are the things that they were kept up at night thinking about. These were their anxieties, their fears, their concerns. Hey, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? Perhaps if Jesus was speaking today, 2022 to this room of people and our culture, his message would be modernized a bit and he'd begin to speak to the things that concern us, things that we worry about. Maybe it would sound like this. Hey, don't worry about whether or not you're going to have enough money to pay the bills. Don't worry about whether you're going to be able to fill up your gas tank this week or whether or not you're going to be able to retire in the timeline that you want or whether or not your wealth is dissolving in the stock market as things plummet in the economy. The economy is not yours to worry about. And, and stop worrying so much about this pandemic, this, this thing that so many people are still obsessing over. And every time you hear another reporter, some fear-mongering anchor on the news gives you a new statistic. You isolate away once again into your home and you keep yourself from community and you're terrified. Listen, I know that there's no masks on planes and trains anymore, but stop worrying about that. And stop freaking out about your future, whether you're gonna get married and whether or not you're gonna get that promotion, if things are gonna work out the way that you, you want them to work out. Who can add a single moment to their life by worrying? Nobody. So stop worrying and obsessing, getting anxious about all of these things. That's what everybody else who doesn't even know me freaks out about. That's what an unbeliever thinks like. 
but you're not an unbeliever. That's not how you are supposed to think. You are a kingdom person and kingdom people think differently than unbelievers. Kingdom people understand, no, my God already knows what I need. Every one of my days is written in his book. He knows all the hairs on my head. Not a nanosecond of my life is unaccounted for. And he is not trying to harm me. He has good plans for my future. Not to harm me, but to give me hope, to give me joy. And so I might be facing some weapons that the enemy is throwing against me right now, whether they be economical or sickness or marital or whatever, but no weapon formed against a kingdom person is going to prosper because in the kingdom, there is love, there is joy, there is peace. There is confidence in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would grab you by the face today and say, stop obsessing about all the things that everybody else in this world is obsessing over. Instead, seek my kingdom. Seek me first. And I promise you, if you will be concerned with me, if you will obsess over the things that I'm obsessing over, I will take care of every single one of your needs. Seek first my kingdom and all that you need will be added unto you. This is the inverted kingdom perspective. And this is where we got to start. We got to start from a place of saying, Jesus, flip it all upside down. Invert everything I know. And if there's any areas that you're going to call me out on in the weeks to come, I'm committed right now to put you back in the throne where you belong. That's the invitation. As Jesus said to his people a couple thousand years ago, the kingdom of God is among you. Father's house, the kingdom of God is among you today. Jesus is in this room today. He's approaching you. Whether you've been following him for one day or a couple of decades, he's approaching you and saying, I'm here. Will you allow me to flip some things upside down? I say we, we heed that invitation and we allow the Holy Spirit to adjust some things in our life accordingly in the weeks to come. Are you guys up for that? Are you guys up for that? Let's do it. Let me pray over us as we get ready to conclude. <sighs> Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now. Speak to us today. Speak to us today. Jesus, we, uh, we lay our hearts before you again. We lay each and every one of those categories before you again. And if there's any area of our life where you are not ruler, where you are not king, we do what you've asked us to do. We repent, we turn, and we face you once more. God, I ask for this community, as we dive into this series, would you, would you go deep into our hearts as you did with this teaching? Would you, would you expose motives? Would you expose false senses of identity and wrong beliefs and wrong constructs? And would you adjust our perspective? Because we know if we see differently, we'll walk differently. So we give you permission. You have all access to our hearts. And even today, maybe you're here this morning and you say, hey, Tim, I'm, um, I'm one of those who has actually never made a decision to turn and to follow Jesus. That was ultimately his invitation to his listeners in that day. Hey, will you turn and will you follow me instead of going the direction you were heading? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Tim, I'm far from God and I'm, I'm not a follower. Maybe I was at one point and now I'm at a distance or maybe I've never made that decision to follow Jesus, but I know I need to get things right with him before I leave this room today. I wanna make an opportunity for you to come close Right now, pray a simple prayer of commitment with him before you leave this room. If that's you and you say, Tim, I need to pray with you today and get my life right with Christ, I'm gonna ask you very briefly to, 
just quickly look up at me before we pray and lift your hand and say, Tim, that's me. I, I need to come home to Jesus today. If that's you, come on, lift your hand right now. Got you, bro. Yeah. Yeah, right over there. Both of you guys, awesome. Yeah, right there in the back. Uh, awesome. Right over there, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah, right here in the front. Oh, there in the back. A lot of people coming to Jesus today. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Let's pray this in our hearts. You don't have to repeat it out loud, but just say, Jesus, today I give you my life and I thank you for giving yours for mine. I decide to follow you. I repent for where I've been, the direction I've been heading. And instead, I turn to you today. Help me to be your disciple from this moment forward, to walk in your ways, to turn away from who I used to be and to lay hold of what you have for my future so that when that day comes and I enter into eternity, you'll look me in the eyes and you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In the great name of Jesus and the church said, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate all of those making that decision this morning. Awesome. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.